Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. On today's episode, I'm so happy that my mentor, the scathingly brilliant Dr. Cynthia Rand, is with us. Dr. Rand is a professor of medicine in the pulmonary and critical care medicine department here at Hopkins. She also has joint appointments in peds, pediatrics, and psychiatry and behavioral sciences. And most importantly, she is our senior associate Dean for faculty. And again, she's my mentor. And Cindy was also recognized as, um, getting, getting an award, the David Levine Excellence and Mentoring Award. I said, she's my mentor. And so I thought, what better person than to get on the podcast today to talk to us about mentoring? So with that, hi, Cindy. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Tim. You know, this is, it's really, uh, wonderful to sort of translate the conversations that we have in just our everyday uh, work interactions and, and then occasionally over wine. So, yes. uh, <laughs> to talk to your audience and, and share a little bit about my experiences. Thank you. So, I know in, you and I talk a lot about in the Office of Faculty, we have over 3,000 faculty here, faculty members here at Hopkins. A, a common refrain or concern is mentoring. And our dean, Paul Rothman, has taken it to heart when he came to Hopkins to really put mentoring front and foremost, as has our boss, our vice dean for faculty, Dr. Janice Clements. So everybody can appreciate mentoring. But if we put ourselves in the shoes of a faculty member, particularly a junior faculty member who may be listening to us right now, everybody talks about mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. Yeah, lots of literature out there. We all understand how important it is, but it sometimes it's it's difficult. So break this down for us. If I'm a new faculty member, how do I find a mentor? But more, you know, more than that, the right mentor for me. Right. And that's actually a question that I get pretty often is that we place such an emphasis on it and, and, and appropriately so because the research strongly supports the fact that in academic medicine, having a uh, supportive and strong mentoring relationship is really uh, an important predictor of having a successful academic career. But when you arrive in a new institution or you have just transitioned from your fellowship and you are looking for someone who can serve as your research mentor, it can feel a little overwhelming to identify how do I do this? How do I go about this? What's the right mentor? And, and a related question is, you know, what would make that mentor want to work with me? I think it helps to recognize that mentoring is lots of different things, and, and that's important because at times it may be that we need to engage multiple different people to serve as our mentors. Mentors can be, and, and perhaps most traditionally, they're thought of as the people that that help us learn the, the research process, the content, the scientific and conceptual elements of, of uh, whatever our research focus is. They can be clinical mentors to help us with our clinical skills. Uh, certainly one that is a critical role is a process mentor. That is somebody who guides you in your academic and your career development. But they may not have expertise in your particular clinical area or research area. Um, mentors can also be the people that act as your sponsors and your advocates that run interference for you when you have an issue. And, and one that I find often I'm in this role is someone who you can come to when you really don't know 
quite what the next best steps are. Should I say yes to this commitment? Should I say no? Should I write that chapter? Should I join that that scientific organization? So having having mentor or men, men, one mentor or multiple mentors can serve many different functions. I usually speak with junior faculty about first know the landscape, understand when you're trying to identify who is the right person to work with, you, you need to be familiar not only with the individual's science or research, you need to be familiar with their history of mentoring. Uh, you need to understand their track record. I even encourage going beyond just what you know anecdotally and thinking about research activities and Go so far as to, you know, do a PubMed on this person, uh, find their CVs, uh, go to NIH Reporter and look at the grants they're funded with, look at Scopus, look at, look at ways so that you're as knowledgeable as possible about what they're doing. Visit labs, visit research groups, sit in on lab meetings, sit in on research groups so that you can have an understanding of how your mentor is interacting and and uh, supporting the mentees who are there. Um, it's useful as well as a junior faculty in thinking about a mentor is to understand your mentor's connection not only in the institution but outside the institution. That is, uh, what panels and committees do they serve on? What organizations do they belong to? And, and this is not something that you get from one particular source. It, it's really more about doing just a lot of talking with colleagues and others just to say, for example, if it were about me, you know, Dr. Rand, you know, well, you know, what's her professional society? Where is she connected? Uh, you can do this at national meetings. You can tell from national meetings often what the level of engagement of your mentor is. All of this can be useful in understanding as you enter into this uh, research group, what will what will be the capacity of that research mentor to connect you with the broader world? Now, um, yeah, please. I was just going to say, so a couple of things popped in my head. I love how you say, you know, know the landscape, do your work. Uh, what is the track record of your mentor? So that's really good advice. And um, so if a new faculty member is joining an institution and has been given the task to identify a mentor. That, of course, is sounds like some pretty good marching orders to do some research, as any scientist would. Triangulate the data, talk to as many people. I love how you suggest going to actual meetings and just gauge the culture. How, what is the environment? What is that climate in that lab? Will you, will you be able to... Um, um, work nicely with the team and, and get in sync with their, the way they, they do things there. What if there's a faculty member who has joined a department at another institution and they've been assigned a mentor and maybe things are going to go a little bit wonky or they're not sure that this is necessarily the right mentor for them? Can you, you know, I know I interrupted you there, but can you add a little bit of a, a, a little advice there in case someone out there is listening and saying, that sounds great if you have the opportunity to pick your own, but I was assigned this mentor. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think 
that can be a fine starting place and and you know I wouldn't necessarily reject any relationship that's going to help people know you better and and help you navigate the ropes of an institution so if it's if it's a benign relationship but not necessarily covering all the bases, then I would recommend that you complement that with additional mentors. This is the multiple mentor strategy, and, and that doesn't have to be within the division. It can be outside the division. It can even be through a professional organization. Many national professional organizations, such as mine, the, the American Thoracic Society, have mentor match programs where you can have someone who is in your field uh, serve as a resource to you. So, uh, don't feel limited by that assignment. I would, I would say, however, you, you, you touched on and suggested, well, what if it, it goes wrong? And what if it's a bad relationship? And, and I think that's an important point to bring up. I, I think it is a reality that, that sometimes either assigned mentors or mentors you selected yourself that the relationship doesn't work out. And that can be, that can be complicated, and, and how do you approach it if it is unsuccessful? And, and typically, the causes of mentoring failure are, are poor communication or lack of commitment or, uh, in some instances, just lack of experience in knowing how to do it. You know, mentoring is a skill you, you acquire over time. Some of the most negative Mentors is actually a term for them. They're called tormentors. The, <laughs> the people that, you know, they may think they're wonderful mentors, but they actually, as opposed to building you up and supporting you, they, they actually tear you down and make you feel devalued and, and uh, make you actually think about getting out of the field. Yeah. Uh, so if you're in that situation, if you have a mentoring relationship that's not working, the first place is, you know, a little self-inspection. You know, what's my role in this? And have I been communicating well? Have I been following through? Am I uh, am I proactive in my menteeship? Am I taking ownership of my own career and making appointments and attempting to connect with my mentor and attempting to move forward? If that isn't the case, and, and you have never addressed this with your mentor, the first strategy is to try and work it out. You share your concerns. You sit down and you, you just say, you know, I, I somehow or another, this is, you know, I feel like I'm not benefiting the most from our relationship. Have, what have been your thoughts about our relationship? Ask for feedback from your mentor on how they think it's going. And after working it out, the next step would be supplement it. You know, again, you know, if this is, if the person is perhaps just a little clueless in some areas, uh, but brings you certain skills, maybe they know the content or the science really well, but they're just completely useless in career mentoring, and then you add additional formal or informal mentors. But if the mentoring relationship is truly toxic, if you have a tormentor, if you feel demoralized, or if you, you, find that you you just are finding no reward in this relationship, then end it. Change mentors. It's it is it's appropriate and necessary and, and fortunately it doesn't happen a lot, but it, it happens regularly. Yeah, we, we've all we've all been there and heard these stories of uh, relationships gone wrong or uh, just a, a relationship outliving its 
utility, that there is a certain expectation that maybe you know, we've reached the end of a road and now we are at a nexus where a turning point where my research is going to go that way because I'm going to be independent or uh, a new leadership position. And so there's just a, another kind of like an annual review of let's take a pulse check and see where we are and is this still a fruitful relationship? Because I, I hear um, a lot from faculty members too, well, you know, he's so busy. I don't have, he's, he's a mentor for so many mentees. I feel bad bothering him or he's got a lot on his plate or he doesn't really seem to pay attention to me because of the, you know, the burden of being a mentor to so many people. So uh, I think a lot of men mentoring relationships will naturally evolve over time and maybe turn into more collegial or collaborative or friends. Some become almost like family. Some just, as you know, I mentioned, outlive their usefulness or some are, you know, dementors or tormentors. So you want to get rid of those and shake those off quickly. So I think that's some good advice and some realities that when if this happens to people, you don't feel badly. This is, you know, this is human relationships and they're bound to go wrong at some point. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I you know, I think in, in, in selecting your mentor, understanding their history of mentoring is really important. You know, the, the best predictor of a successful mentoring relationship going forward is selecting a mentor who has a history of successful mentoring relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, that can also lead to mentors who have a lot of mentees and, and getting their time and being able to get on their radar can be a little bit challenging. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have, for reasons either scientifically or otherwise, that you are selecting a, a more experienced senior mentor, there may be that you do want to, to supplement that, that you may want to have others who can complement it. Conversely, if you are in a situation where you're excited about the opportunity of working with a junior faculty, they're typically more available. So let's say you're a new assistant professor, and there may be an associate professor who's got their R01 funding, and they're excited and pursuing a new area. That individual may have more time, may be more personally engaged. They certainly will have fewer mentoring commitments and may be able to give you more of their attention. Again, in that instance, if your primary mentor is junior, identify a senior person who can speak from more experience, who may have more influence nationally, and, and particularly if you're writing a K award, adding them into the mentoring team can make that K more competitive. So uh, I think... It's ideal if you, you know, if you if you have one person who's all things and covers all the bases. Well, that's great. But most of us find that it it actually takes a, a several people in a team to to support our career development. Yeah, I totally, totally love love and agree with that that idea. And the more the better. Jennifer Haythornthwaite talks about surrounding yourself with a tribe, and I think of it all in the big term of the, the tribe of all different levels. And and I'm also hoping you can talk a little a bit about peer mentoring. So in that tribe or that team of mentors, you've already mentioned senior faculty, you've mentioned maybe an associate professor who's a few rungs up the ladder to you. What can you tell us about uh, peer mentors and what value, like why is me as an assistant professor, would I want another assistant professor as my uh, peer mentor or someone who just got promoted a minute ago? Is you know What could they possibly impart to me or help me with? Well, I, I mean, 
one uh, one obvious uh, advantage of that is they're exactly in your shoes, right? And so they can help enormously in just normalizing the experience that you're going through. So, you know, having community of peers who can share what's worked for them in very similar situations. It's, you know, often the case that your peers are at the same life point that you're at. They may be dealing with the same family issues that you're dealing with, the same same work-life balance challenges. They may be struggling with the same uh, insecurities and the same uh, uh, difficulties in navigation. And the beauty of peer mentoring is that you know, yeah, there's commonalities, but everybody's at a slightly different point and they may have a nugget of wisdom or a connection or something picked up from their mentor that yours did not. So never turn down those opportunities. There's one other thing I wanted to add, Kim, that I think is important to think about again and, and this is a that this is a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talked about about how you pick the mentor. But remember that the mentor also needs to pick you. They need to be engaged in you. And that is something you have some control over. You know, why should the mentor take you? One one simple recommendation, but it's remarkably frequently ignored, is know your mentor's work. And when you meet with them, come prepared and after that meeting, if this is your first your first date, if you're just just meeting this person and you're showing up and saying, "Oh, uh, Dr. Skorupski, I was I'm very interested in thinking about uh, uh, geriatric well-being, and I'm thinking about you know how I might best measure that." And then you have a conversation and say, oh, "Well, that's I'm so glad you're interested. It's an area I know a lot about. You know, I've done some work in this area and and." You should go into that first meeting already knowing what Dr. Skrupski has published. And then if Dr. Skrupski suggests to you, well, you know, there's some great work that's been done by so-and-so, the next time, the second date, Mm -hmm. you should have added more. This is part of being proactive. You should both impress that you follow through, Mm. but be prepared. That's the nature of the relationship. Mentors that describe unsuccessful mentees, their tear-your-hair-out mentees, describe them as brilliant but not working up to potential, not focused, passive, uh, not a team player, poor time management, unreliable, uh, not listening. If, If you do relatively simple things of following up, you know, take some ownership, you will not only find that mentors are very interested in working with you, but they also, you'll develop a stronger and more positive relationship. I guess if I were going to sum it up, Kim, I would say that proactive menteeship requires that you engage around setting and being a part of what the relationship is going to be. That is, plan and set agendas for the meeting, agree on the structure and the objectives, certainly respect your mentor's time and show appreciation. Clarify, really asterisk this point, clarify your mentor's expectations about what do they see as your your milestones? What are the points and, and deliverables? What 
do they see as a measure of success? Follow up, as I said, on 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 drafts. If your if your mentor turns around uh, and has read a draft of something you've written, a grant or a paper, get it right back. Turn it around. Uh, ask for and be receptive to feedback. Come in and and say, you know, uh, I'm really glad you like this draft, but I'm I'm sure I, there are things that I could I could do better. Are there areas where you could see that I could be working on for improvement? Be responsible and flexible. Uh, you're working with busy people, and and you may need to accommodate a little bit, uh, and then take ownership of your your own career development. I think it's these can be lifelong and should be lifelong relationships. You know, even at the point that you're full professor and you know senior associate dean for faculty, you still have mentors you turn to and and ask advice for, and they may be all across the country. So it's worth the investment. Can't agree more, and that's a lot of wisdom packed into 20 minutes. Well, I hope you have appreciated these words of wisdom from my mentor, Dr. Cindy Rand, here at Hopkins, our Senior Associate Dean for Faculty. And with that, I want to thank you so much, Cindy, Dr. Rand. You are wonderful, and I hope you'll join us again on the podcast sometime. How does that sound, Cindy? Sounds perfect. Sounds fun. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.